You're listening to The Private Citizen, your weekly privacy podcast. This is episode 44 for Wednesday, the 28th of October, 2020. With the first link, the chain is forged. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. Welcome to your privacy podcast where we defend your right to have something to hide. I'm Fab, as usual, coming to you from the beautiful city of Düsseldorf on the Rhine. Where we are in lockdown, everybody. Well, from Monday. Um, we'll be talking about that. So, um, Corona talk on this episode. Uh, brace yourselves. It's it. It has to happen. Um, hope you're doing well. I um, finally I got my. Um, I'm pretty done with my office. I've, you know, I've got new furniture. I've got it all set up. Uh, there's still a little bit of stuff missing, and I'm. I'm currently. I'm not happy. Um, we're still not happy with the sound. It's still too echoey. So I might do something about that, but I don't know what yet. <laughs> I've got so much to do. Um, I already wanted to record, so this is... Um, I'm obviously recording this on Wednesday, um, the usual show day. I wanted to record this yesterday, but just couldn't get around to it. Um, this is because um, we might, um, in all likelihood, have another episode this week. I'm, work I'm working on that, um, so... Yeah, I wanted to, um, I just don't know, space them out a little bit more. I got some stuff on at the end of the week, so I can redo it, release an episode there on the weekend. But, you know, it's just the way it goes right now. And also then a lot of stuff has happened. Um, and uh, it's just, uh, you know, it's just sometimes things don't don't go um, as you planned them. But, you know, you, ha you have an episode now, um, so let let's get into it. What are we going to talk about today? Um, I wanted to originally, uh, I had envisioned, I, I'm going to talk about a little bit more um, about the Cyberbunker case and some of the, um, some more details on it because I had gotten some um, feedback by uh, producers who said they really liked that, uh, that, you know, that case and my retelling of it. So, and, and since, since I did the episode, I researched it quite a bit more. Um, for some other stories I've been writing. So I'm, I'm going to do that. I'm going to give you some more details. But then we also have to talk about the new lockdown that is happening in Germany from Monday, uh, which which will have also some privacy implications, of course. Um, so that's, that's going to be our topics for today. But before we get into that, I got some housekeeping to take care of. Um, so I, I mentioned that, um, you know, Patreon gives you the ability to uh, produce merch. And I always had people saying, you know, oh, why don't you have some merch for the podcast? And, you know, Patreon does it in a way where I just download it. Uh, download, yeah, well, I'll just upload a design and they, you know, they take care of the shipping and everything. And I wanted to um, to do that because it's, you know, people people like merchandising and it's just a good option for me because it's not that much work. Um, so I uh, did it. I created a t-shirt that you can only get when you uh, subscribe at the uh, $30 a month level. And um, yeah, so I had some images. They have some mock-ups, of course, but I really wanted to have this shirt in my hands and to have a look and to give you an idea of uh, what it's like because you know sometimes with merchandising it's uh, it's hit and miss and so i've i've contacted them and they ch sent me a sample shirt um, which interestingly they shipped from latvia uh, which got to me um, without any problems um, i guess 
um, you know, no, no import duties or anything. And it's a great shirt. It feels um, amazing. Um, it feels really good. Um, the it's 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 really soft and really it's just the the, the shirt the t-shirt itself nice quality. Um, it's like a that dark gray color that I really wanted. Um, so I like that and the prints really uh, turn out really nicely. Um, so I put a put a picture in the show notes. Um, as always, private citizen dot press. Um, you can you can go there and and have a look for yourself. I took a picture with me wearing it and um currently actually uh looking up um because i don't know <laughs> if latvia is in the european union um it is in the european union which which um i, I thought it was but I, I just want to make sure wow i wasn't aware of their flag their flag looks quite like the austrian flag but you know a little bit but not not quite um so of course uh that's why uh, I didn't get any import duties, so that's cool. Um, so that works. I don't know where they they say they ship worldwide, so I don't know uh, where they will be shipping from if you uh, are in the US. But uh, I'm, you know, they take care of fulfillment, and they didn't didn't mention anything about import duties. So I'm guessing they'll have fulfillment pretty much anywhere. Um, if you have, if you ever, you know, if you. If you decide to subscribe at that level and you get a shirt sent and you have problems with that, please contact me and let me know. Uh, we might be able to work something out and I, I certainly want to know about it. But so far, I'm really happy. I think this, this shirt turned out well. It's the um, quality-wise the best merchandising I've ever done for anything. Um, so I'm really happy with it. Um, so, you know, if you if you wanted, uh, if you were on the fence, um, I, can, I can recommend it. I really like this shirt. Um, and that's, I think, that's that's pretty much it for the for the housekeeping as far as i am aware um that's that's everything so we should probably get into the first topic um which is kind of something that came up yesterday today we have of course uh, news from the robert koch institute um and the german government the cases are rising be advised the cases are rising the second wave is coming so we have uh, unprecedented uh, coronavirus cases in Germany. Of course, everybody says, uh, <laughs> you know, they even say that on news sites now, which I, I think is, is good. That's an improvement. Um, they, they Everybody says there's, of course, more testing going on. So you really can't compare the numbers to the, the first wave. Um, but it's on the rise. Um, so they, they've, they've done, you know, Merkel has done the thing she likes to do. Uh, she got together with the heads of the, um, federal state governments in a video call. And they, uh, were talking about new restrictions. And so, uh, starting on Monday, there's going to be a new lockdown in Germany where, um, you're not allowed basically, well, you're allowed to, but you shouldn't go out. Um, you certainly can't stay in a hotel anywhere unless it's important they don't really say what what that means um but you know if you get important work you can't go on holiday or something in, inside of germany you're not supposed to meet anybody outside no groups larger than 10 people you're not supposed to meet anybody from other households i think there's an exception you can meet like with one other household um, no groups inside and all of this. So, uh, or restaurants are closed, hotels are closed, schools and, uh, kindergartens and stuff like that, you know, um, are still open. Um, but you know, hotels, 
yeah, well, they're not closed because if it's important, you can stay there, but restaurants are closed, all the night bars are closed. Uh, for some reason, tattoo studios are closed. Uh, for some reason, hairdressers are still open under the current hygiene, hygiene rules, but gyms are closed. It's like, it's a mess. It's like all of these uh, rules we had before. <laughs> they, they, they make no sense, but I, you know, I don't want, I don't want to go into that. We all know that. Um, now, interestingly, uh, on the same day before this meeting took place, uh, a group of uh, virologists and doctors and, you know, doctor uh, doctors associations, um, you know, I think the most well-known virologist here on, on this in this group is uh, Streeck. You know, he's the guy from the University of Bonn who did the Heinsberg study and who's been, you know, there's this... Um, Basically, it's this virology fight in Germany. There's Christian Drosten, and oh my God, now I've forgotten uh, Streeck's first name. That's that's not good. I uh, should, should look to Hendrik. Hendrik Streeck. Um, he is so so. He was from the beginning. He was more conservative um, with lockdowns and everything. Um, and Drosten is the guy with the podcast who is you know Streeck is the guy who's actually doing research in my view. Uh, Drosten is the guy who's just runs an institute and does podcasts now. Um, he's all in for the lockdown. Uh, Drosten said, um, if, if cases are on the rise, we need to take a pause. We need to take a break. I don't know what that means. Taking, you know, putting, putting our lives on hold, I guess. <laughs> uh, but, you know, Streeck's been on the other side and he's published, uh, this, this, is, this is kind of a declaration that some other virologists are involved and lots of doctors. And they're basically saying the lockdowns don't really work. The, the rules don't make any sense. Um, it doesn't make sense to force people to do anything. It will People will just get wary of that. They'll stop complying with the rules. We're already seeing that. Um, what we need is positive reinforcement. Uh, we need to tell people, um, you know, to be... Uh, to be reasonable and then the people basically they're not really saying that but i you know i'm kind of kind of reading between the lines um they're basically saying you know that you will have a certain amount of people that will listen to that and some people won't and they won't they, they will never listen to it right those are the people who don't care like you can make rules and you can you can threaten them with fines and, and they still don't care um so i actually think that's uh, it's a good idea and they they i think they they're on the right track there and they uh, their um, alternative uh, solution to a lockdown is to have this fine-grained, um, what they call a uh, um, traffic light system, where like fine-grained on every, um, not on a federal state level, much more fine on a city or like uh, a county or even smaller level, you'd have like this um, this traffic light system where you go like, okay, we are green, and and it that's supposed to reflect the current situation in hospitals and, you know, with healthcare providers. And, you know, if you're green, everything's okay. If you're yellow, you're getting into dangerous areas. And if you're red, you know, you're running out of capacity for ICU beds and stuff like that. Um, and so I guess their, their, their idea is kind of to have the system so that people then keep themselves in check. You know, they know I'm in Düsseldorf, right? We're we're in an orange area, you know, and then or we're in a red area, so people should be more careful. Um interestingly that they put that out right before the Merkel uh meeting, the the whole Zoom or whatever the video call. Um I find this uh, I think it generally uh it makes sense what they're saying. Um I feel like the second lockdown is going to be really, I mean, 
I, I certainly hope that some people are now start going to start to, um, to question these measures. Um, I don't know, you know, you, you, that you're listening to this, what, what your situation is, uh, wherever you are, um, the people, you know, uh, and, and as you know, I'm always interested in this. I'm interested in feedback. I'm interested in comments from people. Um, I mean, you can do this anonymously, uh, private citizen press has contact details on there they go to my blog there's a contact page there the blogs at fab.industries um, there's a contact page there you can you can contact me anonymously there are many ways of contacting me we also now have an irc channel uh, which is hash fab industries on freenode and um, there's many ways of contacting me and i'm i'm, I'm just interested in hearing from people and their, their experiences um, so i know um close relatively close relatives, relatively close relatives. The relatives of me um, work in uh, the hospitality industry, right? I, I, um, somebody uh, in my, you know, um, further, you know, in my fa family circle, circle, they're not really that related, but, you know, you, I don't know. I don't know how to explain, you know, people, people I know, and, you know, they work as uh, in, in, in a restaurant in a, or they, they run a restaurant in a hotel and, it's it's hell for them i mean they're you know they're on reduced pay as it stands for i think till december 2021 um it's just horrible i mean there's those people who've lost their jobs uh, they don't know what they're um what they shall do now i mean there's people who are thinking about um just going into another industry you know which you're just saying okay yeah just do that but you know these are people who do what they do because they love doing it um And now they might have no other choice to, you know, just completely do another um, apprenticeship or something, which is, uh, I mean, that's just horrible. Um, there, you know, there's there's lots of these these things going on, um, and this is also something, you know, Strick and his group are saying. Um, where they, uh, he he put it, he put very nicely in like they also had a press conference video call. And he put it very nicely. He said, "A pandemic is a marathon. Um, we will." it doesn't matter if we have a vaccine um we have to be we have to understand that we will have these problems for the next at least two to three years even with a vaccine we'll have these rises in cases i mean and the guy understands what he's doing he's been researching this virus since like march right and he's he's like we're going into the winter month uh, we know now that it's 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 seasonal based uh it's it's gonna be it's gonna get worse And that that will happen next year and the year after, and maybe even longer. And so he basically asked the questions: How much? How many more lockdowns do you want to do? Right? Do you want to do a lockdown every time the cases rise because they will rise, and you'll you'll just be destroying uh, society. So I, th I thought that was that was uh, very very concise and you know just well put by them. And they you know <laughs> they seem to have. Uh, Van Morrison on their side, by the way, because Van Morrison uh, released a song called uh, No More Lockdown, which I just maybe just play no a little bit from now. Overreach. No more fascist bullies disturbing our peace. No more taking of our freedom and our God given rights. Pretending it's for our safety When it's really too enslaved Who's running our country? Who's running our world? 
Examine it closely And watch it unfurl No more lockdown No more threats No more Imperial College Santa's making up crooked facts No more lockdown No more pulling the wool over our eyes I mean, I, I think No more celebrities telling us I, I mean, I, I, I think you'll get the idea um, I, find it, I find it great that Van Morrison did that I think Van Morrison's generally the thing the, the thing the, the person to do something like this of, of all the big you know well-known uh established uh sing- i mean it's, it's probably him and dylan they both are they went to a lot of shit i mean van morrison went to a lot of shit with the press uh you know in the last 20 30 years he th- thinks about that quite a lot and uh they just don't give a shit like van morrison just says it like he thinks you know dylan just dylan tends to do that too um I think it's 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 great that he that he did this. Um, you know, there's not many many people in there of this stature who have the balls uh, to go against mainstream like this, you know, and risk being cancelled uh, and stuff like that. So <laughs> good on good on Van Morrison. I also like Van. I mean, Van Morrison is great. I mean, he's just musically he is. Uh, he might be a difficult human being. Um, I mean, I've been to live concerts. Uh, I think I think that's pretty. Um, it's pretty clear. I think my parents were at a concert once where somebody like in the second, this was years ago. So you'll, you know, somebody in the second row was smoking and Vermorzen, uh, you know, is really afraid of uh, cigarette smoke destroying his voice. So he threatened to, uh, to cancel the, um, to, to cancel the concert uh, if that guy wouldn't leave. He's, he's also uh, done co- uh, like complete concerts behind a curtain because he didn't didn't feel like going out and stuff like that. <laughs> which uh, which I think is uh, well he's a uh, he's a uh, eccentric guy sometimes but you know I I respect him for recording and releasing a song like this and not many people would have done that and you know Van Morrison I mean you can't argue with the fact that the guy just has a great voice <laughs> um yeah but in the meantime it's getting even you know it's getting you know the lockdown's one thing um. I mean, this is kind of like we had um, at the beginning of the year. I'm kind of happy myself that I'm in Düsseldorf now, um, in the middle of one of Germany's biggest federal states. Um, also, the states around won't close their borders. Uh, Schleswig-Holstein up in the north has already, uh, you know, they the, seem to be the most Nazi federal state or the most afraid. Or I don't know what. Um, they, they've... Uh, already closed their borders again, you know. And it was really shitty in Hamburg when you're in a little... Um, I mean, people didn't understand. Like, I was literally talking to people um, when this was going on. I mean, I talked about it on the show as well. Um, but, you know, just to recap, you know, talking to people. And they say, I don't know what you're... I, I don't understand you. There's no lockdown. And I'm like, you're in Niedersachsen or, you know, in North Australia. You don't realize... No, lower Saxony. So you don't, you, don't, you don't realize what's going on because you're in the middle of a big federal state and they're not closing the borders around you if you're in hamburg and the federal states the size it's literally the size of your city and the bo- both federal states surrounding it close their borders then you can't like i couldn't you know the f- two or three kilometers north of me uh when you were like walking through the woods they would stop you like on the path like the police would stop you and turn you around 
and it's it's just it's just weird. So I'm I'm happy I'm not on a failure now. So uh, it's a big enough federal state that I can just you know if I want to go somewhere, still 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 go somewhere. And um, yeah, I mean I was pretty much exempt from everything anyway because I could just always pull my press card. But I don't like to do that, and I don't like to um, you know I like to put myself in the shoes of other people like that don't have a press credentials and you know can do this kind of stuff. But uh, it's it's getting even worse now. So the um, another thing that happened today is that Karl Lauterbach, which is a, a the um, health expert, uh, he's a politician for the Labour Party, which I used to vote for um, for quite some time. Uh, my parents both used to be members. Uh, used to be is the operative <laughs> word. Um, Obviously, they're in the reigning, uh, in the governing, reigning, in the governing coalition. Um, they like the junior partner, partner with the conservatives, CDU. So the Labour Party is SPD. And, uh, he, Karl Lauterbach is the, uh, healthcare expert for the SPD. And he said today that, um, uh, you know, because there's been this huge, well, yeah, relatively big discussions about parties going on, you know, because they, uh, they outlawed partying everywhere else, so people just do parties at home. Of course they do. I mean, they're humans. What, what, what do you expect? <laughs> but then they were like, ah, no, no, we need to crack down on this. And he's now saying that um, police should be able to enter private residences and to sh check for these corona measures, you know, as we call them in Germany, the COVID-19, uh, we tend to call it corona, uh, like the beer, <laughs> um, to check these measures, right? And um, to, to, to see that the lockdown rules are enforced and he said um, you know quote the inviolability of private residences can't be an argument for not performing checks anymore and this is interesting uh, because if you look at the Grundgesetz our constitution in the basic rights um, we have article 13 and article says that really the first paragraph is uh, the private residences are inviolable um, they have, there is, um, so if you go to paragraph seven, so generally the, the, the whole paragraph talks about how, uh, the state cannot enter your residence without a judge's, you know, without a warrant. They need an express permission. And actually it's not that easy. They you know, they, it, something, um, like they need to prove that there is danger in delay, that, that, that it's important that they do it now. Somebody's life needs to be at risk or, um, you know, a, a serious crime needs to have been committed and they, you know, if they want to go in and look for, um, you know, evidence and stuff like that. So there's really high uh, standards for a judge to actually grant, grant you a warrant. And this also includes, um, I mean, this is people, some people might ask why you're talking about this on a privacy podcast. I've explained this, you know, in this show very often so i'm not going to do it again people get bored but like one point is um this includes uh surveillance so this we can't go into your residence to check something without an express permission by a judge um includes any kind of surveillance you know tapping your phone uh putting putting a trojan on your computer anything like that um, now there is um, paragraph seven. Well, this is yeah, this article is paragraph seven, which explains that um, there are exceptions of this, and one of them is actually um, fighting um, epidemics. 
Um, so, you know, you could argue, and I think that's what Lauterbach is doing, um, that they can do this without a warrant um, to because they're fighting a um, an epidemic. Now, the thing is, yes, that's in in this in this article but if you read the whole thing um it's uh it's i mean i'm obviously not a lawyer <laughs> i'm not a constitutional lawyer um but you know i'm just reading this with having studied politics and and history and stuff it, it they're at a very high bars it goes it talks about um the uh, the the things that need to have that need to be fulfilled um if the government wants to you know, wants to go into your residence and check something. So even with this um, exception that, you know, we're fighting uh, a pandemic or whatever, uh, yes, that's in there. But I don't think, if I understand this, this paragraph, and it's an important one that has been argued uh, in court in Germany quite some time. And, you know, there were there were huge lawsuits and court cases about... um, tapping phones and when that is legal and you know what you can do and what you can't do and all of these there's there's always um this you need to weigh the danger against you know actually what what are you doing you know why are you why are you going in there why are you checking and i don't think um i mean what lauterbach means is there's an illegal party going on you know there's more than 10 people in a private residence and Normally, under the understanding we had of this article for the last, I don't know, what's it now, 70 years of, of our republic, um, you'd think the, poli- the police can't go in. What they can do is they can knock on the door, um, but they can't even, like, they're not allowed to reach into your home, right? Unless you allow it. Like, if you say, um, no, you're not allowed to come in here, and you they, they're not allowed to listen, right? They can't put an ear in and go, oh, that sounds more like 10 people, right? So if you don't allow them in, they can't they can't come in, they can't check anything. Um, and I think uh, what Lauterbach means is that they, you know, that a pandemic now uh, is it's so bad that the police needs to be able to do this. Um, which I do not agree with because I think, yes, they can do. I think what what this paragraph actually means is, you know, if you have something in your in your residence that is causing, you know, I don't know, the pl- you know, if you have rats everywhere and they're causing the plague, right? They, under some circumstances, the state c- can come in and clean that up. Or if you're sheltering people that are infected and, you know, and we're talking like Ebola and people are dying, you know, then they can actually get you out. Right. But, uh, I mean, even the, uh, the, the Infektionsschutzgesetz, the, you know, the law I talked about on the show quite a few times uh, in the beginning when this all kicked off about, um, the, you know, what to do in case of epidemics and stuff like that, you know, says like the exceptions to personal freedoms in there are mostly, if you refuse quarantine, uh, the state can put you in quarantine. But you need to be sick for that, and you need like, you know, it's not like if you if you like, okay, I'm gonna quarantine in my in my private residence, and I'm not going out, right? They can't come in and take you out and put you in a hospital because you know you're already quarantining. And I don't think they can just come in and 
you know, do checks. Like how many people are here uh, in, in your home, where they're from. Um, and I think this is very important because it's not only about the parties. This is what people don't understand. <laughs> it's, or you probably, you might be, li you're listening to this, you understand. But, you know, I still have to, this might be an argument for you if you're talking with somebody who doesn't understand it, right? Um, what people don't understand is like once you allow this, it's it's like for everything. And because this also governs surveillance, once you allow them to come into your residence to check if people are there, I mean, they could put a Trojan on your computer. They could like tap your phone to check if you're like inviting people for a party. <laughs> you know, that sounds far-fetched, but it really isn't. Like it really isn't. That is literally in this article. This is literally what this article governs. And if you think that, um, you know, just checking if you have an illegal party, if that qualifies for paragraph seven of this, then then it'll you know it'll it'll um, qualify for everything else. Um, so I think the the just police ran you know not randomly but you know just checking if there's people you know if there's an illegal party going on is not a high enough uh, danger <laughs> you know danger in delay so to say so to speak. Um, they, they they they're not as this this talks about lives at stake, right? The, the other exceptions to this is like yes, the police can can come into a private re residence. There's a life at, at stake, especially like if there's kids' lives at stake. So it, this is about you know parents beating their kid and then saying you can't come in here. This is my private residence, right? If 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 they know if they have hard, um, nah, not really evidence, but if they have um. You know, if they can show that there's actually danger or there was danger, you know, after they did it, um, if you sue, if you sue the state, then you know they can show. Well, he we he was beating his kid, and the kid was was shouting for help and was help me, help me, right? Then they then they can come in, right? But this is like danger to your life, right? And the virus that has like a death rate of zero point zero four percent or something like this, theoretically spreading. You know, they're, they're checking if there's people there that might th theoretically spread this virus. I don't think, I don't think that, that is a high enough bar, um, to qualify for this. And I'm, 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 I'm shocked. I, I don't use this word often, but I'm, I, I am shocked that a member of the, um, Labour Party would go so far and, you know, put his head in the ring and basically, Stake, stake the claim that we need to discuss this now. We need to enter private residences because there's all these illegal parties going on. <laughs> I mean, if you allow the police to go in for something like this, they can go in for anything. Um, I, it, 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 just, it, it almost makes me speechless, and I'm not often speechless. This is, um, I was really mad about this today. I was really really mad so one of the reasons why this podcast is so late in recording that i went out running for 40 kilometers 14 kilometers um to get rid of i like to do that first of all you know it's, I'm, I'm trying to get more more fit and lose some weight and you know guess gain some muscle but also um you know and gain some cardio cardiovascular fitness but it's also, I need this. I, I realized um, when I was working for a publishing company and I couldn't do that. I couldn't just, like, if, if I had enough, I just couldn't go out and run for an hour, an hour and a half. Um, like, my blood pressure would just go. I was, I, I think I was close to actually, you know, having serious health effects. I don't know, having some, some getting some cardiovascular disease or like a, an ulcer or something. 
And it really helps me to go out and run now. And I, I, I'm much more relaxed now. So this is, this is unranty, relaxed fab. Uh, because I did that. I really had to do that. So, um, yeah. Um, so I, this is the point, I think, uh, where I need to play you something that, um, speaking of this and why it's so important and why we have to just look after, I re reiterate all of this, but we have to look after our civil liberties and our rights as citizens um, in cases like this, because it's not necessarily about the cases like this. It's about creating precedent and people accepting uh, intrusion. It's it's like my mask thing, right? I'm not people, I mean, I've, I've did a video about this today and people are really fighting, fighting me. And, you know, if you want to see that's on my blog, fab.industries, but you know, that that's neither here nor there. It's a kind of about, um, I'm not, I'm not against masks, but I'm, I'm just cautioning. I'm just saying we need to be careful to just get people used to things like that and get people used to lockdowns and used to intrusions into their civil liberties because, they will accept that, and it's like a, once the state takes that, they'll it'll get worse and worse and worse. It'll they never roll it back. They never roll these things back. And um, so I like to play you something that is um, one of my favorite speeches. Um, uh, this is a speech from the Star Trek Next Generation episode, The Drumhead, in which Captain Picard. Um, this is about the episodes about a member of the Enterprise crew who is on trial. Uh, for being a Romulan, a spy, because they have a war with the Romulans and they're getting really paranoid. It's kind of like a, was a McCarthyan, um, you know, the rat scare thing, um, kind of like that. And P Picard protects his crew member, and then they go after Picard, and you know, they talk about before he gives the speech, they talk about him it used to be a Borg and attacking the Federation and stuff like that. And there is this lawyer who is um, was on the other side, who's basically putting him on trial. And Picard quotes a quote from her father to her, and then she gets really mad. But his speech is really great, and it's it is it is so pertinent. I mean, this is science fiction, but this is something that's really important. And before I play this, one thing that cracks me up about it, by the way, well, it doesn't crack me up, it just amazes me, is that the people who are in you know a few years ago when when this this all wasn't an issue, um, you know they're trekkies, right? Real progressive people that I, you know, that I'm friends with and that I follow on Twitter and stuff like that. Um, they were all over this. They were like, yeah, this is a great speech, you know, freedom, and this is really important. <laughs> but then at the moment where, like, actually our freedoms are under attack, they're like, no, 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 it's it's great that they force us to do all these things because it's really important. And they suddenly forget about like what they saw on Star Trek Next Generation, right? They forget about, they're all Firefly fans, right? They all watch Firefly. They forgot about what Firefly stands for, right? The outcasts, the people that actually went and rebelled against the draconian government, against the total, totalitarian government taking their freedoms away and lost. But still, you know, it's the thing Mal says, um, it might have been the losing side, still not convinced it was the wrong one, you know, still being on that side and still standing up for their rights and fighting the losing cause. And I forget all about that, right? Once that goes over into real life, that, you know, no, 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 we have to, we have to do what the government tells us. <laughs> it's like, what? Two years ago, you were 
you quoting you applauding me when i quoted firefly and now it's like do what the government tells you I mean, so um i i think the speech is really important and um, i'm keeping this on the soundboard because i have a feeling we'll need this again so everybody listen to captain picard because he knows what's going on you know there are some words i've known since i was a schoolboy but the first link the chain is forged the first speech censured the first thought forbidden the first freedom denied chains us all irrevocably those words were uttered by judge aaron sati as wisdom and warning the first time any man's freedom is trodden on we're all damaged now i fear we're already there um, I fear the first link has been forged and I, I fear we are already chained irrevocably. Now, the thing I have hoped for, at least in Germany, is that they continue to do all these things as kind of policies, right? This is, this is Merkel going to the federal state, um, to the heads of the federal states and and they're doing it they're, they're they're pushing down policy they're not making laws there's still no pandemic law in germany there's no law that regulates when you have to wear a mask there's no law that regulates the lockdowns and there's a good reason for that i think i think the reason is that they know they can't do this. I mean, in the beginning it was understandable. They were like, it takes too much time, I guess. But, you know, I think the real reason is that they don't want to do that now because they know, um, so at the, you know, they have to put this law together. And then at the moment they, you know, I mean, they, they'll get it through parliament. That's not the problem. Everybody there agrees with this. They're all the government. They like to have control over people, I guess. I don't know. Or they think the world's going to really going to end. Um, but the moment it's out, there will be lawyers who have free time. And there will be lawyers with, you know, the job of a lawyer is to, um, it, you know, it says in, in, in German, we call it Rechtspflege. The job of a lawyer and of a judge, but, you know, also of a lawyer is to, um, to nurture the law. And lawyers are taught in, in law school that when they see a law that they think is not just, um, that they need to take the appropriate steps. And, you know, if you have something like this, if the government pushes, a, you know, publishes a law like this um, and you think it's against the Constitution, then you go to the Constitutional Court and this will happen. Um, there will be lawyers who will do that. And I think the government knows that what they're doing is not based on an understanding of the um, of the constitutional basics and of our understanding of the law um you know the 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 the, the constitutional court I, I think will not agree with the government on this as as that um court in the us said you know that i read from their um their uh, opinion a few episodes ago they said about the us constitution the constitution does not accept the concept of a new normal and I think that's the same thing in Germany. I think um, you can't just have, you can't just make a Grundgesetz. You make basic freedoms, uh, you know, for the people, you know, the law of the land, people living 
in the land and say that is universal, right? That these are the universal rules of our state and then live by them for 70 years and then go, oh no, now something happened that completely changed and it's a new normal. That doesn't work. Our constitution in Germany was born out of World War II. And it was born in the understanding that if we ever have another war like that, it will still apply. That the government can't go, oh no, we're now involved in a war. You know, that's a new normal. That's not what the constitution was ever meant for. And we're not in a war, right? The situation is not as bad as World War II, right? We're not being bombed. We're not, it's, you know. Anyway, um, I feel like... Um, so I feel like not everything's lost until they, you know, because currently they're operating and I think it's pretty much the same. I, I, I you know, I, I hear a lot from the US. I read news from the US, from Canada, um, from my friends in the UK. I talk to them and I feel like the situation is the same everywhere. They're not, they understand, you know, they're not making these, these laws. It's still all just policy and people just, Yes, they currently they you know they go along with it, but they can stop, and I still have a hope that that's going to happen. So you know, think about think about Captain Picard, think about our freedoms, and why it's important to be watchful, even for little things, even for the police, you know, wanting to check if you have ten people in your home that are not supposed to be there. It is not the job of the state to care about that you know it's it's they don't they can make rules and they can tell me i you know i shouldn't have 10 people from another household in my in my home but they have no business checking they have really they have no business knowing the state has no business knowing certain things And if that hampers their ability to do something, so be it, right? We don't allow them to willy-nilly, you know, tap phones. I mean, they could probably, uh, you know, it would make fighting crime a lot easier if they could just tap everybody's phones. Of course. I mean, it's just, it would make, make a lot of things easier if they could just force us to wear like a tracking beacon every, you know, wherever we go. It would make a lot of things easier. Right, they could plan for traffic much better. So that's not the point. That's not the point. It's not. They have no business knowing that. They have to do their job, or what they think their job is, um, without intrusions like that. But anyway, I'm not going to go on further. I think it's now time um, to switch to our next topic, because I mean we're talking about fighting crime and uh, speaking about fighting crime. So I want to talk a little bit more about the cyber bunker case. I wrote a blog post about this um, that includes um, a lot of details that you can also read. It's on fab.industries. I put a link in the show notes. I'm not going to duplicate everything I wrote there in the show notes because I thought that was kind of, you know, that was superfluous so i'm going a lot by what i wrote in this blog post so if you want to read up on that just follow the link and um as i said you know i was in i was in trier for this uh cyberbunker lawsuit um when you know the german prosecutors for the first time um are trying to convict uh the owners and operators of a hosting company for what their clients did so normally in germany we have a It's kind of like safe harbor in the US. 
um, concerning hosting companies. So in, in, in Germany, it works like this. If you run a hosting company, uh, you really have no business uh, because of data privacy to know what's going on on the servers of your clients. Um, and as long as you don't know, you're not responsible for it. So if you rent a server to somebody, uh, you have no you have no business knowing what they're doing with that server. Now, if they run an illegal website, you don't know, you're not responsible for that. Um, the moment where this safe harbor um, starts to um, stop protecting you is if you get told, you know, if, if so let's, let's say um, you're renting, you're in a hosting company, you're renting out a server to um, people um, running an illegal drug marketplace, right? And then the police um, finds this website, finds out where it's hosted and contacts you or, you know, some other member of the public, you know, might have found the website and there's something illegal on there, but let's go with the police example. The police goes and says, well, this is your service. There's illegal stuff on there. Um, then you need to act. Uh, you know, if you're in a hosting company, you're acting in good faith. Uh, you will take that server down, you you make it unaccessible, you will cooperate with police if they say, okay, we need the copy of the server, or even if they say, don't take it down because we're investigating it, right? You need to probably follow uh, follow their orders and, and comply with what they're doing. And uh, generally, hosting companies do that, especially in Germany, um, quite readily, which is why uh, bulletproof hosts come in, right? If you want to run a, a questionable website, you want a hosting company that doesn't comply with with this you know with this with, with state requests like that and i, I said it was kind of amazing um that this happened in germany right that the cyber bunker company was was run in germany because you'd think i don't know you know if the police comes along and you're not cooperating with them they will get suspicious they investigate you you can't really uh, you know bribe them i mean you're not like in a country where that's that's easy and generally works so um now looking into the background of of this um so so it turns out the guy who um owned this hosting company who bought the server was a dutch guy and um so he uh bought this this server he yeah, apparently he's quite smart actually he has a pension for uh running um foundations you know like um uh publicly um you know uh, oh god what's the what's the word i'm looking for i'm gonna have to look this up what's the english word charitable of course so he's running like he always opened up like non-profit charitable foundations and this you know this was the same he had a foundation like that in in the netherlands and he bought this bunker and the story is actually so um the the, the bundeswehr this was a, like a german army bunker uh in traben trabach uh in rhine-palatia um on like I've, I've explained you know on the mountain whatever so the it was used as a um weather um analytics uh, you know base so basically there were lots of people um trying to predict the weather in places where the bundeswehr was uh, was operating so you know in afghanistan lately um and 
in 2012, this, this office of the Bundeswehr as meteorological office moved somewhere else. And then, um, which was bad for the town there because, you know, obviously it's a small town that was a lot of jobs. Um, but then the federal uh, real estate agency who, you know, obviously owns the, all the federal real estate wanted to sell this bunker. Um, and nobody was going to buy it, especially for 450,000 euros, especially because it's not only that price, but you need to maintain it and it needs a lot of maintenance. Um, they had a lot of people living there at all times, the Bundeswehr, because you needed a lot of people to live there so it wouldn't flood or, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, you need a lot of maintenance and nobody would buy it. So this Dutch guy turns up and says, I want to buy this bunker. I'm going to turn it into a, um, you know, data center. And it's going to be like state of the art. And, you know, all these international companies, they will they will rent service there because it's going to be great. It's going to be very secured and a bunker. That's a good selling point. And I'm going to create like 100 or 200 jobs for the local economy. So um, they were kind of like, yeah, the sort of local council was kind of like, okay, yeah, um, I guess you can buy that. There were some people being suspicious. Um, and so the mayor at that time actually did some research on this guy and he found out that this guy used to own a bunker before this. So this was like cyber bunker 2.0. I think they even called it that. And, uh, this guy used to own a bunker, um, which he bought in the nineties, uh, in, uh, Kleutinger. I hope I say that correctly, which is near Gauss, Gauss, uh, which is in Zealand, which is actually, I used to go on holiday. Uh, quite close to that uh, a lot um, and this was like a, a Dutch nuclear bunker from the Dutch army from like the 50s uh, which was sold in the 90s and he bought that and he um, you know uh, put a like he bought the bunker and he because he likes bunkers he's the New Yorker did a great story on this which I also link uh, in my blog post and they say, uh, hey, a colleague they interviewed uh, called the guy Bunker Geil, which is like a German neologism. I mean, Geil means horny. So basically, he was horny for bunkers. He always liked bunkers. And he had this idea, put a put a um, data center in there. And, you know, they, they, got, they hosted the Pirate Bay at some point. They hosted WikiLeaks at some point. And... Um, so he had this first bunker, um, but that also was very expensive to maintain. So it turns out he rented out part of the bunker, like a machine shed on the side um, to, um, to, to you know, just another company. He sublet it, basically. And um, it burned down. Like the bunker, great part, large parts of it burned down in 2002. Uh, burned for like three days, temperatures like 2000 degrees, whatever. The guy who owned it had to go to hospital um, because, you know, probably he got burns, I think, on his face and whatever. They had to like get him out of the bunker. And uh, so uh, investigators looked at why this, why this fire happened. And it turns out there was an illegal ecstasy lab in the part he had rented out. Now, he always maintained that he didn't know. He, I think he said it was just, he thought it was a painting company. <laughs> what what would they do in a bunker? But okay. Um, and so he never got indicted. Um, I think he had his business license suspended, but, you know, I guess he got it back. Or he, anyway, the company moved their service from this bunker to... Um, I think just a normal data center in Amsterdam. And, you know, for years they just had service somewhere else. It was still called Cyberbunker. Um, it was still a bulletproof hoster, but, you know, they were just hosted 
somewhere else, not in a bunker. So, and this guy was like, okay, and um, he was, you know, he was Sony for bunkers. He wanted a new bunker. And um, <laughs> so he's, he was quite rightly probably thinking, ah, with that ecstasy lab, you know, I didn't get indicted, but, you know, the Dutch authorities were kind of suspicious, I guess. Uh, probably not going to get a new, you know, the, the government, the Dutch government is probably not going to sell me another bunker. Also, there are not that many bunkers uh, for sale in the Netherlands. And, and then he went to Germany because, I mean, Germany has a lot of bunkers. Uh, Germany, obviously, uh, being in a strategic location, especially center of Germany uh, in the Cold War, has a lot of old bunkers, old NATO bunkers. And so he, he toured a few and then he decided, he decided to buy that one in Trabach. Now he was... Um, so the 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 uh, old mayor of Tramtrabach found out about this first bunker that burned down. It was suspicious, and he actually told the federal police. I think the federal state police, and they actually told the federal real estate agency. But but they went like, okay, no, we're just going to ignore this because nobody's going to buy this bunker. Um. So um, they sold him the bunker. He moved into the bunker, started the company, and the local uh, prosecutor, who is now prosecuting this case, um, said in another interview that he was actually, when they moved in, you know, he heard from the people on the council that were suspicious. They actually looked at this uh, company and they saw, they looked at the website and they were like, okay, this looks like they're hosting illegal sites. It's kind of like, they're pretty clearly like, they're not saying it, directly but they're pretty clearly implying that you know I, I talked about this last episode why that you know why they thought that but you know pretty clearly implying it's gonna it's for illegal websites um, but he decided not to prosecute not to start an investigation because he thought or the, the people in charge at the time thought that um, it would be hard giving that safe harbor thing um, you'd have to prove that the hosting people know it's hard to prove that because of you know uh <laughs> civil rights in Germany uh, it's not easy to get a lawyer uh, to get a judge to give you a warrant to tap their communications uh, by just saying hey we think they're doing something illegal right the level you have to go to to get that is quite a lot higher <laughs> um, so they were like yeah it's probably it's probably really iffy to prosecute them and then going to a case which is interesting because that's exactly what's happening now right so that's that's the case they're having now so they basically were thinking in 2012 2013 that this case they're having now was gonna hard to be hard to win so it's gonna be really interesting if they win that it's also like really a landmark case because um if they lose it uh yeah then it's it's we don't have, you know, precedents in German law as such, but it's gonna, it's gonna send a signal, right? It's gonna send a signal that that it's really hard to prosecute people for something like this, um, especially in this case where they clearly did something illegal. But it's kind of hard to s convince the judge, and then Germany might become like a new paradise for bulletproof hosts. So that that that, that would be interesting. Um, so why did they start this prosecution, which I didn't know that when I did last week's episode, and this is great. So you dig into the story and the story gets better and better and better. By the way, um, just a quick aside, uh, I, you know, I interviewed that prosecutor, of course, and, uh, you know, of course he said, you know, there wasn't, wasn't a single legitimate website on that, um, so, so that's on, on the server, so that's interesting, just in the, you know, um, 
you know, with the privacy angle. So I guess nobody was hosting like, you know, just a privacy oriented service on those servers. Um, but still, you know, the, the thing is the, the, um, the restrictions the police have in investigating people doing something illegal, you know, are the same, right? Right. You know, they, they, they get these warrants and all that before they can, before they prove that these people are doing something illegal. They're doing that in a trial. So, you know, they, they might, if they investigate you, you know, the, or anybody who's just privacy conscious, you know, even if you haven't done anything, um, they have to reach the, the, these hurdles are the same. It doesn't really matter that these people are uh, criminals. Um, it's, it's just interesting from a privacy and um, civil liberties standpoint, um, what the police can and can't do. And that's one of the big reasons I'm talking about this. I mean, the other reasons people told me they found it interesting and I find it interesting um, and I like to talk about it, but um, I think that's just to bring it back to what we're doing here and why that's important. Um, it's important to learn what the police can and cannot do um, because, you know, from their point of view, they don't know if you're a criminal or not. Right, that, that that gets decided in court, and we like we would like to know what protections we have and what protections we don't have. Um, so why did they investigate? <laughs> why did they investigate this case? This is hilarious. So they were like, okay, we don't know. They're probably doing something illegal, but we, it's, it's going to be really hard to prove. Um, then in 2015, um, an Irish. Um, um, tabloid. Uh, the Sunday World uh, did a story where they um, so there's a there's an Irish mobster, um, a guy who is uh, well known as a big figure of the underworld. He was involved in gang wars allegedly. Um, is one of the biggest importers of drugs into Ireland, and um, he's been in um, in jail uh, in in Ireland. I think two times in the eighties and nineties. He's been in jail in the Netherlands. Um, I think he he operated out of Ireland, and then the um, Irish authorities in the 90s passed a law where they could seize assets uh, and money and stuff that uh, they could prove was um, obtained illegally. And so he moved his operation to Amsterdam. And this is apparently where this guy is. Uh, he's known as the Penguin because he's kind of stout and waddles when he walks. Apparently. Um, also by the alias, he's known by the alias Mr. Green, which is what he went by in this whole operate in this case. Um, apparently he knew the guy who bought the bunker back. So apparently Mr. Green, let's call him Mr. Green, um, used to be involved in, in the nineties in stealing computer parts and had, there was huge mil millions and millions of, uh, of dollars of computer parts were stolen. And the Dutch guy who ran the bunker apparently used to own computer computer stores and so the this is all just rumors but they know each other from back then that's the rumor we maybe he bought some stone parts we i don't know or he helped him with you know tech know-how we we don't know but apparently they know each other and so the the irish tabloid was doing a story because nobody had seen this penguin for 20 years there were just old photos you know, when he went to the to the Netherlands, nobody knew where he was. Um, he was still operating. They knew he was uh, importing drugs into Ireland, but nobody had ever had hadn't seen him, right? And they got a tip 
an anonymous tip, which according to the Spiegel, who saw some investigative files, came from the cyber bunker. So apparently an intern in the cyber bunker gave an anonymous tip to this Irish tabloid and said, uh, by the way, this mobster, because he was now they, they, they were writing about him, I guess, uh, this mobster is actually in Traben Trabach. So the tabloid sent a reporter who, um, uh, oh, I mean, it's a small town, they they you know, they surveilled everybody and they found, or they got a tip like that he was hanging out at a certain restaurant or whatever. And they, they saw regularly the guy who owned the bunker, which they didn't know, uh, but they researched him later and stuff like that. Uh, but anyway, that, that guy, he was hanging out with the penguin, like they were going for, for, um, for breakfast. And interestingly, so the, the Dutch guy who owns the bunker, who's the main defendant in the case, um, there are more Dutch people indicted and on trial right now. Two of them are the Dutch guy's sons. They're also Dutch. And then there is his ex-girlfriend. And I think their mother, I think she's she's their mother. Anyway, also on trial. Uh, the sons worked in the bunker. Uh, the older son was, was helping his dad um, run it and also driving people around. He was kind of like the chauffeur. And the younger son was an admin, did the website, allegedly. All allegedly, they're not convicted. Also, I'm not using their names. Um, if you go to the blog post, I explain what that is. Um, it's just a German German press thing. That I mean, if you 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 can find out their names, but you know, I don't want to. I want to keep press standards we have here in Germany. There's uh, there's rules. Um, they're kind of self patrolled by the press, so they're not laws. Um, but I like to abide by them uh, because I like to be uh, an ethical journalist. Anyway, so. Um, so they were all together. There's another guy, um, another Dutch guy who uh, started working as, you know, doing random jobs and then later got promoted, promoted and it was, was the, the owner's right hand later. And, and the other people just as, I think a German, or two Germans, then a Bulgarian guy and they were just the admins. But they basically they belong all together. But, you know, they were meeting this penguin guy uh, the owner and one of his sons was always driving him back and forth. They was driving him to a restaurant, e eating breakfast. And so this reporter um, actually surveilled, like they were they were shadowing these people and then took pictures of the penguin leaving the restaurant and then published a big story in the Sunday World. I think it was titled The Lost Godfather, where they said, look, this mobster is actually in Traben Trabach and he's hanging out with this guy who runs a bunker who has this shady hosting company. And this is when the prosecutors, uh, you know, all the blah bears were going off. They were like, organized crime, Irish gangsters in our little town. What the fuck's going on? And this is, so this was in 2015, this uh, end of 2015. This is when they um, started investigating and this is also how they started investigating because it turns out that all the warrants they got for shadowing people, for tapping into the fiber lines to the bunker at like the next internet nexus, um, for tapping their phones. So apparently this penguin guy had 16 phones. He always carried a bag with 16 phones with phone numbers written on the back. <laughs> and um, they tapped all of them, all the numbers. They tapped all of them. Uh, and they got all those warrants from a judge by basically saying, look, this is like a crime boss from Ireland. And he's hanging out with these people who we knew were shady, but we kind of didn't want to bring a case because blah, blah, blah. 
And so they got all of it. Like they put GPS trackers on all of their cars. Um, they shadowed them 24-7 when they left the bunker. They tried to surveil the bunker, like, but, you know, because of the fences and everything, they just couldn't get close enough. Um, they actually sent in an informant uh, who worked as a gardener. And that's also how they arrested them. Um, so the gardener uh, claimed um, that he later, you know, years later, this is in 2019 when they arrested everybody. Um, the gardener said, oh, I got an inheritance unexpectedly and I want to invite everybody, the whole bunker crew, uh, to dinner. And they went to dinner and saw the police, this is why, you know, 650 police officers. At the same time, you know, they were all down in town in a restaurant. They arrested them and at the same time they broke into the bunker and got all the servers <laughs> so uh this is uh, this is this is actually quite interesting but they got all of that because you know they were saying organized crime. now the interesting thing is they never indicted this penguin he left um um i saw there's reports that he he was um he could kind of disillusion with the guy who owned the bunker and um the last time he was cited in tram tabach was 2017 since then, he's completely underground. He's gone. Nobody knows where he is. And uh, they didn't even indict him. They, you know, there are eight people on trial. They indicted six other people who weren't there, uh, who were on the run. Um, but, you know, never indicted this guy. Which is an inter interesting aspect to the case, seeing as they got all the surveillance, surveillance because of that guy. Because, uh, but apparently they couldn't never tie this penguin dude down. And connect him to this. Because apparently, you know, whenever he was using unencrypted communication, he would just talk in code. Like he would talk about, apparently, so allegedly he was importing uh, drugs from Spain. He had a house in Malaga. And uh, he was always talking about oranges and where to sell the oranges. And like they just couldn't, couldn't prove, I guess, that he was actually uh, involved in criminal activity. They knew it's kind of obvious, but, you know, proving that is different. Um, now the interesting thing is apparently he was uh, he he gave them the money to uh, to buy that bunker. Um, apparently he funded the bunker, and um, it 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 seems to be that um, these these people who ran the bunker who were kind of saying we didn't make any money were kind of right. I think they made they made very little money and spent most of the money they got. I mean, one of the reasons the prosecutor actually told me one of the reasons they were pretty sure. Um, that this was an illegal operation is because they, their hosting fees were like four times what you pay for normal hosting. <laughs> and, you know, there must be reason for that. Um, but um, they, uh, so apparently even with that, like the, the bunker was so expensive to maintain and all the power, like most of the, most of the money they made went, um, went out again to just to pay for the power apparently. Um, so, Nobody was getting rich. Um, so so apparently this penguin guy also used the guy, the Dutch guy who owned the bunker as kind of like a tech advisor. Um, and they were actually working on, apparently, according to these investigative files, that, you know, the I mean, New Yorker found something out. Um, the Sunday, sun, um, what's it called again? Sun, Sunday Daily... Sunday World. Uh, they they found you know the reporter there found something out about this and then you know they spiegeled it also some research. Um, but it it looks like uh, this penguin guy wanted to 
reached, reached retirement age, he has some kids, and he was afraid that, you know, all the money he'd earned from, it was clearly from illegal activities and could be seized at any time, or, you know, when he, when he inherited, when his kids inherited it or whatever. And um, he wanted to convert some of that money into legal money. And his idea was to create a, um, an app, a phone app, like a, uh, encrypted phones like the anchor chat device i talked about in a previous episode and he was actually working on something like this with the guy from the bunker who was helping and then a company in poland who was writing the apps and apparently they sold it to the colombians uh, to, to the um uh, you know the mexican cartel um the bigson law cartel the you know the colombian cartels um apparently the bandidos biker gang um they sold these phones and you know because the penguin wanted that because you know creating encrypted phones and selling them is not illegal um so that would be like you know legal basically theoretically you know legal legal money and um the owner of the bunker was doing it because he needed to, something to make money because the bunker the whole bunker hosting bunker thing wasn't doing it and it's also you you learn about a lot about that guy and you know um the New Yorker story is great for that. It's like a personality piece on the guy. And basically, it's it's not really clear. It wasn't really like a career criminal. Mostly, he was like a... Um, it just sounds like an um, idealistic guy, right? He, he, had, he had few quirks. He wanted to live in a bunker, always dressed like in a black leather trench coat, stuff like, like a nerd, right? And he was uh, apparently... Or he is a very... Um, like idealistic he was you know kind of like they 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 proclaimed the cyber bunker republic at some point it all sounds like very uh, john perry barlow you know it's a declaration of uh independence of cyberspace and all this kind of stuff so uh it was kind of idealistic so, so he wasn't really a businessman he wasn't a really good criminal it sounds like uh, business wise um so i just thought that was a there's an interesting uh twist to the story and this is going to be a very um, a very interesting case, and it's gonna, it's gonna, it's probably gonna take a while. Um, and there's a lot of stake, um, as I, as I mentioned. Um, so I'm, I'm gonna keep an eye on this. Um, I think I explained to you all the civil liberty stuff that I find interesting. Now, um, from now on, the thing that's important for this show about this case is how they decide, um, you know, basically what legal precedence this sets, right? How they, how they, um, how investigators and the police and the state will deal with hosting companies in the future. Because that also applies to, you know, like hosting companies who host um, um, private, you know, privacy conscious email services, for example, you know, like mailbox.org, which is my email provider. They only, I think I talked about this in the past, they only comply with, with state orders when they have to. And if these rules get changed of, you know, if it's just interesting to see how, how this will impact police and, you know, uh, po police powers and, and state powers uh, as, as, as hosting companies are concerned. I think that's interesting to pretty much anybody who listens to the show. Right. I mean, um, so I'll, I'll keep you updated on that. So I thought that was interesting to have um, a bit of an a bit of an update and a bit more details into the story, which I, I just thought that 
that that penguin angle was was just great um i think that's that's interesting that they just started investigating because of that um, you know and if you want more details um, privatecitizen.press have a look at the show notes um, and the blog post i linked that as a there's a lot of stuff in there and with that we get to the point in our show where i uh, talk about producer feedback and that kind of hinted last episode that there'll be a lot of feedback because there's some some stuff i hold back held back there's some stuff i need to edit a little bit and so we have a <clears throat> we have a lot of feedback here sorry i need to to drink some more tea here to lubricate my voice um so yeah so settle in there's some uh, some feedback coming quite a lot but you know as, as i always say i value uh your feedback very much so please if you have any Go to privatecitizen.press in the feedback section. There's a link. There's a link in the page footer. Um, I can be reached in many ways and I value your input very much. So please um, stop being a listener, become a producer and um, be part of the show. You know, maybe you have some input, some ideas on that. You think I'm wrong. Uh, you think maybe, you, you know, I, I'd, I'd be very happy in you just telling me what kind of... Um, topics you want to see covered i think that's very valuable because I, I would like some input from people about that you know just if you have thoughts and ideas just just let me know um so we have uh a correction so uh i got an email from captain egghead and captain egghead says Thank you for your work on the Private Citizen podcast. By now I've listened to about 10 episodes. I do think they provide good value and I should probably deduce in a proper way in the near future. Um, just a side note, that's uh, Captain Eckhart is probably a uh, no agenda listener, which is cool. <laughs> um, deducing is a term, you know, in, in no agenda parlance, they invented the value for value model. And if you um, derive value from the show, but you're not giving value back, you're a douchebag and people, you know, and write them emails and call out their friends who they know listen to the show, uh, but haven't donated to the show and call them douchebags. And then you can deduce yourself uh, if you actually um, sent, sent them in, in uh, a, a donation. So just for people who are not aware, who do not listen to this podcast, I wanted to explain the terminology anyway. Um, Captain Eckhart goes on. Meanwhile, just a small comment slash correction. A bit off topic, but since it's second, since it's the second time I hear you saying that, I could not resist mentioning it. In episode forty-two, oh, sorry, hitting my microphone uh, stand. In episode, in the episode forty-two comment section, while talking about the scientific method, you said, "quote For thousands of years, it's been accepted scientific fact that the Earth is flat." End quote. I also recall you said something similar in a past episode referring specifically to Galileo. I'm sure that you are aware that the, quote, known truth uh, challenged by Galileo was not the Earth's, quote, flatness, but it, its being stationary and the center of the universe. After all, he is associated with the phrase, quote, and yet it moves, not, quote, and yet it is round, or something. The, quote, roundness was known and measured... He puts that in quotes. He also says in the signature that he is a um, a, a round earth conspiracy theorist. <laughs> it's just 
It's funny. Okay. Uh, the quote, roundness was known and measured and at least since the time of the ancient Greeks and most likely the quote, accepted truth in Galileo's time as well via Aristotle. Nevertheless, you have already made the slip of the tongue twice. So it's interesting to note how well rooted the quote, myth of the flat earth end quote is either that, or maybe you are a flat earther yourself, which would be even more interesting. Um, I have to disappoint you on that. I'm not a flat earther. I am, um, Well, I, I, I've watched the, uh, most recently I've watched the Apollo 11 um, thing again, you know, the, the movie in the cinema, which I thought was great, um, which had a lot of awesome footage that I've never seen on the TV because I wasn't alive in the 60s. Um, it's a great movie, by the way, if you, if you get that anywhere, just watch it. It's great. It's just the, the mission footage and it's not narrate. It's, it's a documentary, but it's not narrated in any way. It's just... Uh, you know, they use mission control and the, you know, Cronkite on TV and just make a movie out. It's amazing. But I mean, that clearly shows that the earth is round. I mean, you can literally see it. Um, and I, since I do not believe that that was fake, um, I, I'm quite sure that the earth is round. Um, but, uh, you are correct. Uh, this, I made a mistake there. Um, and I just made a mistake. I don't know how, you know how sometimes these things get into your, your head and you don't like think about them and you keep repeating them. So I'm glad, I'm, I'm, I'm very thankful to uh, Captain Eckhart who provides a lot of value to the show right now by telling me that and by calling me out on it. And I think it's right. I, that, that, that was wrong. That was clearly wrong. And I made a mistake <laughs> and I should know that because I learned about this in school. So like in, sixth grade or something so i i should i should know that <laughs> but you know that's just how it goes this is why i have producers who uh call me out on stuff like that so thank you for that fadi mansoor uh sent some very thorough feedback on episode 42 i've shortened this a bit just for brevity's sake um fadi says i want to focus on a point that you mentioned while talking about the response to COVID 19 I think you mentioned something to the effect that more regulation will probably result in more corruption. It was relatively late that I learned of this distinction between small and big governments. And as I mentioned, for me, this is now an important factor to consider when discussing any decision. A big government might be useful to solve big problems, taking the devil's advocate's point of view and putting in mind something like climate change. So it might be an acceptable premise that the size of government should preferably be tuned according to the issues that need to be addressed. Unfortunately, by the way, we are generally just big on big government in Germany, I think, since the since the Prussians. We love our bureaucratic apparatus. Um, and that seems to be unconnected to whatever problem we're trying to solve, but that just doesn't decide. Um, unfortunately, what happens in reality is that uh, whenever there are some new powers given to governments, they're reluctant to give them back. Yeah, I think this, this is an established historic truth. I think they never give them back. You have to force them with like a revolution pretty much or a civil war. It's not like you elect a new head of state or a new government. They're like, oh, oh those powers were just given back. I mean, Obama is a great example. Obama always held up uh, in the US, you know, always held up as a shining example in comparison to Trump. Now, Obama inherited a lot of very draconian laws from George W. Bush, um, who put him in because of, you know, September 11th. 
And he never rolled any of that shit back. To the contrary, a lot of the shit with the putting people in cages that people now, you know, political commentators are now putting in at Trump's doorstep, if you actually look up when that was put in place, when they started doing that, that was during Obama's uh, presidency. I don't think it's Obama's fault. I think he was just, he couldn't, I think he actually wanted, I mean, he said he was going to get rid of Guantanamo Bay and never did it. I think he actually wanted to do that. I don't think that was an empty promise. I think, um, you know, the president, this is like the same in Germany, the chancellor, the head of state often, head of a government doesn't have um, that much pull, right? There's always this apparatus thing they call big government, right, um, that Trump's also railing against. But Trump's a good example, you know, he's all draining the swamp. I actually feel like he actually wants to do that, but I think he can't at a certain level. I think you're not, you don't have that much power. You're still up against this whole established apparatus. But anyway, um, you know, that, that Obama's a great example. There's, there's a lot of things that, you know, he never rolled back, um, which is, I think that's just the way it goes. I don't think that is so much Obama's fault. Um, but we have to, <laughs> well, people seem to kind of have forgotten that or something. They don't want to, they don't want to know that. Um, anyway, back to what, uh, Fadi says, um, uh, powers given to governments, they are reluctant to give them back. One might even say that it could happen that some parts of government would create circumstances where more government would be needed. And then we are in a vicious circle downhill. Yeah, I think that's, you know, one could not only say that, I think there's a good examples for that as well. Um, so the point that I would like to raise is, when making a decision at a co country level, a good point to consider would be, does this mean more or less government? And if more, does the benefit outweigh the risk? Unfortunately, what you see advertised is not the topic and the cost of the new measures, but sentimental talk about humanity, the global good, saving the children, etc., etc. I'm very skeptical when this kind of sentimental language starts to be used. For me, this is a warning sign that there's probably something nasty behind. I think Fadi makes a great point here and puts it in better words than I always could. I mean, that's the old child porn argument, right? Whenever a, whenever they want more laws and they want they want to make it easier for the police to, you know, they want to put Trojans on your computer, for example. In Germany, we had this discussion a lot, you know. Um, when they want to get rid of the inviolability of your home so, so they can put Trojans in your computer, it's always, oh my God, the child porn. Won't somebody think of the children? That's always the argument. And then never debating like the downside, as you say. I think that's, that's you, you, Fadi did a, this is a very good analysis here. Another interesting point that was raised is with regard to the science being settled. Here again, I would like to add that from what I see, our understanding of topics is still evolving. And some systems, like the climate or even our bodies, are too complex and we keep discovering new facts that hopefully will increase our understanding. But to start with the premise that it's now settled and we need to take a big decision increasing government sizes along the way is a warning sign to tread very carefully. Again, something that is really, really true. I mean, just look up the things, like just look up neuroscience right this is the thing i always went on about when i did like technical podcasts and i talked about you know ai and stuff like that we don't, we have no idea how the brain i mean we understand things we understand how synapses work we understand what neurons do um, we understand to a certain extent how they work together but you know we don't know how the brain works 
if we, you know, if we knew we could create, I don't know, we'd be almost God. I mean, we don't know. And when they cut your brain open and they do an operation, right? You know those things when you're a writer and they make you write in the operation or if you play a violin, they make the person play the violin and then they do a test run, um, you know, then they kind of disable the part of the brain they want to cut out and see if you can still play the violin because they don't really, like, they don't really know. They need to, you know, they, they need to test that shit. <laughs> Um, so I think this is this is very true. I mean, this is generally people are very enamored with science, and I'm a fan of science. I'm married to a scientist. No, uh, <laughs> I love science, uh, but you know we need to understand what we don't understand, and that's a big part of it. Um, you know, that's like saying you know we know how to go to the moon. We were talking about the moon. Um, you know, we did that in the sixties. That doesn't mean we, we we can do that with Mars. That's a, it's still a you know, and now now think about just leaving our solar system, like what kind of the, the things we do not know. And that's the same. It's the same with our climate. Um, anyway, um, what we're talking about. Um, Fadi says, it's a warning sign to tread very carefully. And just another point related to climate change. In the 70s, they were talking about the second ice age. And then it was global warming. And now, in order to reduce further embarrassment, the term to use now is climate change. So what exactly is settled? I think I agree with you on that as, as well. Um, you know, I talked about this before. Um, I, I do not dispute climate change. I think it's happening. Um, the problem is that people say, oh, it's man-made and it's we, we are the fault and we need to do this. Because I, I think, like I think Fadi, we don't know. We don't. I mean, we know certain things. We know that's happening. But I don't think we've, we've understood how our climate works. Um and then there's always this bullshit thrown in. It's like, oh no, the Amazon's burning. It's the lungs of the world. You're like, shit, what lungs of the... Have you actually read anything actually scientific? It's your scientific knowledge like from a fifth grade science book? The lungs of the world. Um, anyway, funny goes on. And here I come to a sad point. Unfortunately, there's another... This guy is full of like... I'm, I'm not reading this out willy-nilly because i don't get any feedback right fadi is this is this is these are all very good points and here I come to the set to a sad point unfortunately with the current current global political climate certain points of view are now being associated with certain labels so either you're a right-wing anti-vaxxer climate denier conspiracy theorist or you're a democratically minded humanity loving believer in equality this is a big point of frustration for me. I would love to go beyond these labels and discuss the facts themselves and hopefully come to an agreement and better understanding. Dude, I'm so with you there. I mean, yeah, that's, I mean, that's the thing I'm trying to do with this podcast. And I, I, I try to not put labels on people. Sometimes I do. Um, I think we all, um, we're all guilty of that. But um, yes, I think it's a, it's a good point. We all need to remember not to apply these labels. And just talk about points, you know, just talk about arguments and uh, and data points. And it really doesn't matter if the people, person making the point votes Democrat or Republican, right? It's about the actual point um, that we, that that's what we should discuss. I think you're, you're completely right there. This brings up the last topic, your comment to Martin, which I also second. It's important to have different points of view. I might have... It might happen that I agree with most of what you're saying, but it's also important for me to hear well-reasoned counter-argument. So thanks to Martin as well. And speaking of Martin, uh, Martin also provided me with more feedback. 
and we were talking about he was talking about Scotland and uh, government and stuff like that as well. So Martin says, The American Declaration of Independence is not based on a, quote, UK document, as you stated. They were at war, after all. It was supposed, supposedly inspired by the Declaration of Arbroath, which is a Scottish document dating to 1320. I probably said that wrong. My Scottish is suboptimal. Scots. Uh, Abraham Lincoln was a big fan of the egalitarian poet Robert Burns as well, by the way, and could quote him from memory in the or original Scots. Um, I think you misunderstood me there. Um, I think I was looking up the Bill of Rights and saw that there are two Bill of Rights. There's the UK, the British one, and there's an American Bill of Rights. Um, I didn't, I didn't say that the Declaration of Independence was based on the UK double document um you might have misunderstood me as well what it was based on was uk uh, understanding of the law right so the the u.s legal system is based on the uk legal system um the u.s doesn't have like let's say a uh, you know the, the so you know the french and the germans have uh, you know civil law it's based on the roman legal system and then there's the uk legal system which is uh which is different Ah, common law, exactly. This is actually Flash Gordo, who's uh, listening to this live. Um, as I mentioned before, I'm streaming this stuff um, based uh, on Twitch, um, where I record the, the show. So sometimes I have live input, which is actually really handy. So the UK has common law, and you know we have a Roman-based legal system. And the US legal system is in many ways based on their understanding. And the Constitution right, is, is, is based on... The understanding of civil liberties that came from the UK. I know that they were, you know, they were at war, but that doesn't mean that they weren't influenced um, from that. It's also influenced by the French, you know, the French Revolution, of course, and, and that kind of thinking. Uh, but uh, that was the point I was trying to make. Anyway, uh, Martin goes on. Scotland and England have their own separate legal systems. The Magna Carta predates the Act of. Union of 1707, it means nothing to me. If you accept that Scotland is a country, and you may not, although it has existed since the 9th century, then I'm afraid it logically follows that it's not a democratic one. There's no better illustration of this than Brexit. Every single constituency in Scotland voted against Brexit, but it is being imposed on us anyway. I think you misunderstood me there again. I do not dispute, well, it depends on your definition of country. What I said, what Scotland definitely isn't, is a sovereign country. But I'll um, I'll, I'll go on and read a bit more about uh, what Martin says, and then I'm gonna because he later on a talk, later on talks about the German system, and we're gonna answer that. So he goes on. We do elect MPs to the British Parliament, but they are numbered 10 to 1 and can decide nothing for themselves. In addition, since David Cameron instituted, quote, English votes for English laws in the, quote, British Parliament, elected representatives from Scotland are now second-class citizens there. There's also such a thing as the, quote, quote, Scottish Parliament, but it is a parliament in name only and wasn't even called one when it was created. It was, I was not joking when I said that Westminster has the power to close it down at any moment's notice. Quote, power devolved is power retained, as the saying goes. This is not like the German system at all. This is like everything that happens in Germany being decided by France. I don't know how you feel about the existence of Germany as a nation state and would genuinely be very interested to hear speak about that, but I'm guessing you wouldn't be happy to pay all your taxes to the French government and let them decide that you spend it, um, how to spend it and how much to give back to you. And then he makes another point. So let me, let me address this. Um, 
No, it is like the German system because German Germany German, Germany is a sovereign nation state. Scotland is not. Scotland may be a country, depends on your definition of country, uh, but it's not a sovereign, sovereign nation state. You are being governed by the U as you put it, the UK government. So yes, you are part of a democratic nation. The democratic nation is the United Kingdom. Right? There's some, you know, usually it's easy. Usually you can you can go, you know. Are you a sovereign country? Do you have a football team, you know, in the World Cup? Do you have an Olympic team? Now, it's special in the UK, which is like, that's a special case because, you know, they have English teams and all, all of that bullshit. But generally, it's like that. To put it into the German system, it's like our federal states. They used to be mostly, I mean, they're, they're mostly, um, well, not all of them, but some of them were kingdoms, right? The, the kingdom of Bavaria is now pretty much um, a federal state. Because when Bismarck unified Germany, you know, we can talk a little bit about Germany as a nation state. That would be a topic for its own podcast. I might do, I mean, it's not really privacy related, but, you know, if people are interested in this, I'd love to talk about this. It's what I studied in university um, for a long time. Um, <laughs> but it's kind of like, um, you know, the Bavarian state, you know, they have a parliament. Every nation state in Germany has a parliament and then we have a government and then decide certain things. You know, for example, uh, education and healthcare. I mean, that's the thing I was going about with the coronavirus measures. Healthcare is a nation, it's a something that's decided, um, in, not nation, in the federal state, right? That's a, that's a state, uh, prerogative. And there are laws made there. And, and pretty much every federal state has a constitution. It's just under, it has to, it exists under the um, under the banner of the Federal Republic. So um, Bavaria is not a sovereign nation state. It's in some regards, it's a state. It has a government. It has a democratic government. But you know, they can't. They can't. You know, they don't decide um, where. Um, okay, roads are a bad example because they're federal roads and. Uh, um, you know, they, for example, they don't make, you know, criminal law or something. You know, the, the, the laws of the federal states are subordinate to the federal law. So the federal government makes the laws and decides where a lot of the taxes go. Um, so it's kind of like that. You, you are kind of like if, if the UK was a federal republic, you would be a federal state. Now, your case is for independence and you want Scotland to be... Uh, sovereign nation which i can understand which is the discussion we can have but right now you're 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 not so you can't say you don't live in a democratic system just because you, you know you're you're not a you know the, the 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 construct you live in is 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 not sovereign um you are in a democratic system you're in the democratic system of the united kingdom um that that is the that is the case I I wanted to make. Um, now I understand, like especially because I'm a German. So Germany's just to go into this very very briefly. Germany is very special as a historic construct because when pretty much any other nation when there were you know many, many nations in Europe were already sovereign states, you know, 
kingdoms. Um, and they were, you know, you had a, you had a French kingdom, right? The French, everybody who was French pretty much lived in a country, a sovereign nation with a French king. Now, all the Germans at the same time lived in little kingdoms. There was the king of Bavaria. There was the kingdom of, of Saxony. There were, you know, there, there was a kingdom of, uh, you know, where I am. Uh, I think it was Cleve. Uh, it was even, wasn't even a kingdom. I think it was just a, a barony. You know, Germany was made out of all these different kingdoms. It was not a nation state. It was, it was, of course, in the Middle Ages, organized into the Holy Roman Empire, which broke into two pieces. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the Western part was the Holy Roman, later called the Holy Roman Empire of the German nation. But it wasn't a nation. It wasn't a sovereign nation. It was just like a loose collection of kingdoms, which turned into the, the Deutsche Bund, which was a, you know, they had a, they had a parliament, you know, with the revolution, they had a parliament, but they were not a nation state. Until Bismarck in 1871 created Germany as a nation, Germany was not a nation. At this 1871, you know, there, there are countries in Europe who were a nation for 500 years or much longer at that point. Um, so Germany is very special. So when I, I always, I understand the quest um, people have for independence, you know, the Scottish independence, um, you know, Catalonia and Spain. I understand that. I'm not as supportive as other people would be because I don't know. I think that's that's about being German. It took for Germany. It took so long to get unified, and the, the, for hundreds of years there were German in Germany. There was like this political um, pressure. It's like you now want Scotland to be independent. It was like that. Just we wanted to be one nation state, and that shaped so much of the German thinking. And the fact that it happened so late and in the way that it happened caused World War I, which caused World War II. So I'm, ever since I studied history, I've always been of the opinion that the, and this is a, I mean, I didn't come up with this. This is a prevailing theory in, in German um, historical science is that um, the fact that Germany, the way the German nation was founded and the fact that it happened so late and in a in the geopolitical arena at that time is what caused what caused basically caused world war one and world war two this that caused hitler because the you know that caused what happened with the nazi state because um basically the german drive to become a nation germany became a nation and then the industrialization was going on germany felt so powerful which is why Wilhelm, you know, wanted everything. He wanted colonies in Africa. He wanted a fleet to rival the British. He completely overestimated Germany's power because we were on this, Germany was on this wave of, of nationalism. And of course, that caused World War I, which Germany lost because Germany overextended itself massively and gave a blank check to the Austrians. And like the, the dumbest, you know, basically a carte blanche to do whatever they wanted. They, they started World War I. It was the dumbest, one of the dumbest moves in history, um, which then caused the French to have the Versailles Treaty, which was massively um, restricting to Germany and which squeezed this national, like once Germany got over having lost the war. This this Versailles Treaty 
um, squeezed the German, you know, our ability to have an to have an army and a navy and all of that, and it 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 crystallized the nationalism that was already there that got dampened in the war. But then it crystallized it, and it, it, it everybody felt completely like um, mistreated, right? We're, we're this nation, we're this powerful nation. Oh, we just lost this war, and now everybody's like, they, we can't even have ships. And that is what caused the new wave of nationalism, which is what caused the Nazis. Um, so I'm Germany is very special. So if you ever if you ever talk to a German about independence and all this kind of stuff. Um, it's 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 very different. So I I respect, as I said, I think from the beginning, I respect your um, your quest for Scottish independence, and I understand as well as well as I can from just being from a completely different country. I understand why you want that, and I get your points. I get your points that the UK is deciding things that the Scottish don't want. It's obvious in Brexit. It's obvious, but. You can't say that you don't live in a democratic system because of that. I mean, you can say that, but it's wrong. You do live in a democratic system. It's just the system, while being democratic, is not... And while guaranteeing you rights, right, and, and freedoms and all this, um, I mean, you have the same freedoms in as somebody who lives in, I don't know, Dundee, as somebody who lives in London. Um, you know, you have the same rights. And that's why you can't just say, oh, the Magna Carta doesn't apply. I mean, the police can't just come into your house and arrest you willy-nilly, right? They need a reason. They, you know, they need they need a warrant for your arrest. That's the Magna Carta. If you didn't have the Magna Carta, your police could just arrest you for no reason whatsoever and just put you in jail. And that's what they used to do before the Magna That was the king. The king could just put you in jail and leave you there for like uh, three years, you know, don't don't have to justify it. Don't have to. There's no due process. Nothing. So you have those rights, and they're very important. Um, but I understand that you're saying, "I want to change the system." Just don't say it's not a democratic system, right? Um, anyway, uh, just just to finish this up, uh, Martin finishes his feedback with saying. Uh, Far be it for me to defend Prince Charles. This is about the climate change thing and Davos and. Uh, right. Far, far be it for me to defend Prince Charles, but I do think he is sincere when it comes to the environment, as he has been talking about it for as long as I've been alive. Also, uh, think, also I think it was unfair of you to completely dismiss real-world data on climate change and put it all down to computer modeling, but I'll leave it at that. You also completely misunderstood me there. I mean, there is real-world data, but the real-world data doesn't, um, doesn't tell you that, you know, or to... It could tell you that climate change is man-made. I think that's a good assumption. I think that's a good interpretation of the data, but it doesn't prove it, right? What we have is CO2 levels, real-world data, from, you know, from the guy on what's it, Mauna Kea, like from, from the 60s, they did, they studied CO2 in the atmosphere, and it's it's on the rise like hell. And it's a good assumption thinking, like, we know that humans cause CO2 in the atmosphere. So I think that's a good example. Assumption. What I'm saying is we don't really understand, or we do, maybe we understand, but we really can't prove um, what that does to our climate, because the climate is very, 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 very complicated. And the way that they tend to prove that, and I put proof in air quotes here, is with computer models. Um, 
because it's you can't just measure and go oh it changes the, i mean it's it, if you don't just i'm just going to challenge you there look it up for yourself please that's what the show is about go on i don't know start with wikipedia look at um the greenhouse effect and read that and do not accept what it says but think i want to know more and look at the that, that, that page has a ton of primary sources. Look at the primary sources and start reading scientific papers on how the greenhouse effect works. And you will pretty soon figure out what we know and what we don't know. There's a lot of things we don't know. There's a lot of things where they don't know how this gas does what it does. We have experiments where we did something in a lab on a very small scale and then we extrapolate that and we have computer models where you, you try to model the atmosphere and it all goes in a certain direction. And that might even be right. You know, that it indicates that this is happening, but it doesn't prove it. And that's my point. That's not how you prove things. It's like saying, um, it's like looking at the um, the DNA, right? The the double helix, right? And you're saying we have proof that that's how DNA looks like. We don't we don't have proof that that's like DNA looks like. That's a model. We ha and we can we have very good microscopes, uh, and we can we can look at DNA molecules now. And they can't, you know, if you if you squint and you you're like, yeah, it could. I'm, the thing is, the model explains everything we have observed, and but we don't have a picture of the fucking molecule. We don't know yet. I mean, somebody will invent a microscope that, you know, that does it at that resolution and we can look at it. Um, but yet we don't know. Like, so it's not scientifically correct to say that's how DNA looked like. It looks like we, 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 we have proven it. No, we don't. It, same like we, you know, we pretty much, we are very sure that black holes exist. Like we have good indicators for that. We have certain things we can look at with telescopes, and they the pretty much the only way we have to explain what's going on in that in that the things we observe is a black hole. But we haven't seen one. We haven't gone there. We haven't shot a probe into it, right? We don't know how a black hole works. It's a theory somebody came up with. You know, Rip Rip Thorn and Einstein. I don't know. They, you know, they came up with a really good theory, and it explains pretty much everything. We haven't proven it. Right, that's that's the that's the fine difference, but it's a very important difference, especially if you're saying, you know, let's change all all the policy worldwide and let's have a world government or whatever these Davos douchebags want to do. <laughs> but um, that's my point. And also on Prince Charles, it's just like that fucker. You know, he's never done anything in his life. He's I don't I'm not listening to that guy. He's not a scientist. Why would I? Why would I listen to a rich guy whose family has? In, I mean, we just talked about the UK. Like, who's you know, you're the guy who has a beef with UK Parliament, and you don't have a beef with the the Queen and their family. You know, <laughs> come on. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave it at that. To uh, to echo what <clears throat> Martin said, I need. I, th I think I need to come to an end here because my voice is rapidly going downhill here. Um, but I also wanted to read out, I had a comment from George's, uh, who supports the show and he, he commented, I, I recorded a video. I've started doing this, uh, these short, relatively short videos that I upload to YouTube and put on my blog, um, because I've realized that some, some commentary I do in writing doesn't work. And I want to give people the opportunity to see me while I'm talking about this. 
Um, anyway, I was talking about fear-based reporting and the pandemic and, and social media sites and problems with that. And um, he wrote a comment on that um, on that video that mentions this podcast. And I think it applies to this podcast as well. So I just want to read it out here. So George, it says, hey, Fab, I would like to thank you for your courage. That sounds like a no agenda thing as well. Your podcast and content... Uh, Thank you for your courage, courage, your podcast and content like this. The producer of the Private Citizen podcast, the views you express in this video are not new to me, but I still find value in hearing you talk again about these topics from a yet more personal viewpoint um, than when you than what you embed in some show episodes. Um, I was talking about you know wearing masks and stuff and my grandma and you know having deciding personally if you know my grandma is ninety nine and you know, what applies, how, how careful do I have to be? Is it more important for me to visit her so that she has, in her last years, has personal contact? Or, you know, will I not visit her so I could infect her with COVID, right? But then I was like, okay, but, you know, I haven't done that in the last two or three years. And, you know, she's at a point where, you know, if she gets a bad cold, she might die. Um, she might keel over any day, to be honest. And, you know, this is the point where I was like, it's more important for me to give her physical, you know, to have somebody there, right, to, to talk to her in her last years. She's 99, right? Um, anyway, I, I was talking about that. Um, and um, George says, I have great respect for your attitude regarding your relationship with your grandmother, and I hope you both can maintain the opportunities to spend time together. Dude, I will, um, I'm not, like, you don't need to hope. I will make it happen. <laughs> if I have to break through police blockade, to see my grandma, I will <laughs> believe believe you me. The state will not stop me. Like Angela Merkel cannot stop me from seeing my grandma if I want to. <laughs> I will. I will. I would die in that pursuit. I think, I, and I mean this. Um, as for your views on social media, I share your opinion that is not tax fault per se. I was talking about how people say that you know the problem with social media and the stuff um Fadi mentioned you know with the that we can't discuss things anymore because everybody puts label on everybody the, the the press and often the tech press blames this on social media but i was saying you know it worked 10 years ago on social media it worked 20 years ago on like forums and stuff i don't think it's the the technology i think it's the people i think the people changed um and uh as for your views on social media, I share your opinion that it's not tax fault per se that most social media interactions and behaviors of the people who use them have taken a very a terribly wrong direction compared to the early times of the internet when all was still very shiny and promising and Silicon Valley still managed to make people believe they would turn the world into a better place with their tech products. Like with the example of the hammer or the knife, which both have proven to be most useful tools to humans, it finally lies in the responsibility of the human user if these tools can be made can make life on this planet better or worse. However, I would like to point out the importance of the design, which, if well done, should provide safeguards against most malintentioned or evil use case evil use case scenarios. When due uh, when due to the run for profit by laziness or simply stupidity, bad design is imposed, this means this may lead to negative effects, which are hard to counter afterwards as more people find it hard to change their habits. As most people find it hard to change their habits once they are used or should I write condition to some design media or tool. And I think you are, that's the reason I want to read this out. I think George is, is extremely right on this. I think this is a very good point. I think, yeah, you, you're probably right. It's probably part of the, the, the system as well. 
Um, you know, thinking about that, that I was thinking about masks. I think this is one of the problems I have with masks because um, it's not the mask per se and what it does. I, I mean, I'm for using it when, when it's, when it's solid, you know, when we have solid scientific evidence that it works or we at least have a good, you know, we, we have good, good indications that it will work. That's enough for me at this point, but like we're using it as a, like a, it's, it's been marketed for, um, or propagandized, um, for, for lack of a better term, um, to be the solution. It's like, we get a vaccine and then that's the solution. And now the mask is, is and people use it and they don't think anymore. Right. And that's, that's the problem. That's a problem like medical professionals brought up from the beginning. It causes people to be too sure of themselves. They think, I oh, wear a mask. Everything's fine. Right. When it's more important to think about what you're doing and, you know, you know I don't know, disinfect your hands and just think about what you're doing, where you go, where you meet, you know, I think about, I'm just not going willy nilly to my grandmother and I'm not like, I'm, I'm wearing the mask. Everything's going to be fine. I think about these things. Um, and it causes people to, I think, as George's uh, says here, uh, quite well, um, it's bad design. It's we're using it for a wrong thing, and it conditions people. It conditions people to certain things, and this will this will bite us this will bite us in the ass. That's also my problem with like the, you know, the taking freedoms away and the first link in the chain, as as Picard calls it. Um, we're conditioning people. That's the problem. We're conditioning people to behaviors. Um, that will come back to bite us in the ass. Anyway, I thank all of you for writing in. Um, I value this, um, this feedback very much, as I always say. Uh, please, please, anybody who listens to this and has opinions and uh, has has comments, please do. Please contact me, uh, privatecitizen.press. Information, uh, how to do that, is in those show notes. And, you know, I've, I've mentioned this before, so make it short. We mentioned this on the show. This podcast operates under the value for, for value model. I'll give it to you for free. That will never change. What will change is if I can't make a living of this and other things, I'll have to get a job and then I'll stop doing this podcast because I tried to do the, run the last podcast while I was working at the publishing company and I couldn't make that happen. So I kind of need to be... Uh, a freelancer to do these things i think and you if you get value from this and you decide to uh deduce yourself as uh what was his name again uh captain egghead uh says uh then you help me with this you, you help to keep the show running and that's good for all of us you can do that you can go to patreon if you subscribe at the massively overpriced level of $30 a month which i don't recommend but if you do you'll get a great shirt i i have no i'm, I'm wearing it it even smells good. Well, that might just be me. <laughs> no, just joking. Um, you know, you, you get that. But you can pitch in what, which whatever you want. There should be a level for everybody. If you don't want to commit to a monthly thing, you can do PayPal, producers at Fab Industries, uh, producers at fab.industries. Um, you can send one-off contributions to that. Um, and, you know, I like to... Um, I'd like to thank everybody who does that. And that's the that's the last thing we're going to do. Um, first off, I need to thank Raul Kabazadi, who wrote the theme tune to, that I use for this podcast, um, which is called Acoustic Roots. He's, he's great, great song. I'd like to give him credit on every single episode. Also, I need to give credit to Bindmark at bindmark.co.uk, which is a UK hosting company. Uh, they're not in a bunker. 
but they're also not doing illegal things. I think they just run service that you can rent. They gave me two for free. I use them to host the audio files. As you can tell, if you download things, it's very fast. It works. It's reliable. These servers are always there. Um, I've never had a problem with Bindmark, so I love them for that. So I wanted to give them um, this. Uh, you know, I I wanna I wanna to I want to credit them. And you know, when they gave me the service for Linux Outlaws years ago, I don't think they knew that I was still gonna do podcasts for you know seven eight years or whatever long and mention them. Um, and I try to do this every single episode here. So. Um, and if they've earned it those servers are great and then i would like to thank everybody who um pitched in made this happen helped me do the show um i love you all because i love doing this i love doing i love doing my job and you enable it so thanks to georges walther niall donegan michael mullen jensen jonathan m Hathi, dave butterbeans mark holland steve hose shelby kruver vlad kai sears jackie place one I one one G Flip Klosterman Jaroslav Lichtblau Fadi Mansur IKN Matt Jelleman Joe Poser Dirk Didi David Potter Mika Dave Amrish Vitautas Sadowskis Martin Ricky M Drive Zero S J Jonathan Edwards Barry Williams Silvio Mr Amish and Richard Gilson. Thanks to all of you. Thanks uh, for keeping the show on the road. And um, that's it. That's it for this episode. Let's wrap this up. Um, thanks for listening to the show. Uh, thanks for uh, for being part of it. Thanks for writing in. Thanks for supporting me. And, and I'll bring you another episode this week. I hope. Um, if everything goes upon plan, we got it all set up. Um, I have a I have somebody I'm going to bring on the show, and we're going to talk about an, a topic that's very very topical right now. So I hope I hope I'll get that out tomorrow. Um, if it doesn't happen, you know that's. That's just how it goes, but I hope I hope we'll get that done. And I'll, I'll continue to bring you episodes about topics I find interesting um, as often as I can. If you, as I said, if you have any topics, please let me know. Contact details in the show notes. Until then, um, have a good time. Hope you can deal with the lockdowns as best as you can. And sometimes you just you know sometimes you just need to uh, aim to misbehave. <laughs> See you next time. Goodbye.